0: Now if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're continuing in our series, I Am David, uh, and it's the idea is that when we look at the life of David, we see someone who God used in incredible ways, but someone who didn't live a perfect life. He did a lot of bad things. And so when we look at David, we can identify with him because he lived a life a lot like what we live But in spite of the mistakes and the fallenness in David, God used him incredibly. And the same is true for us. And that's why we look at this and say, yeah, I'm kind of like David. I can relate to this guy. And today we're talking about David the warrior. If you know one story in the Bible, there's a good chance that it is David and Goliath. And if you're anything like me, there's a good chance that the story of David and Goliath inspired your first schoolyard fight when you were a kid. Now, when I was in fifth grade, it was the last day of school, and we're all going out waiting for our parents to pick us up. The whole class is out there, because on that day, nobody wants to ride the bus. It's a special day to see your parents come and pick you up. And I'm out there, and you have, I have my book bag in one hand with all of my stuff from the whole year, and in my other hand, I have this glass mason jar with a fish in it, because I'd had a pet fish given to me at school, which is a weird gift, but... It was what it was. And so I'm I'm walking out there to the front where all the parents are going to be picking us up. And as I walk out there, I see a kid in my grade named Joey. And he's being bullied. There's this ninth grader. I've forgotten his name now. But he, by the looks of him, he'd been in ninth grade a few times. Uh, He was a giant of a man. He had a beard as a ninth grader. So this guy was not supposed to be a ninth grader, and there's no way that a ninth grader should be messing with a fifth grader. But this bully came down and he's trying to steal Joey's bike. He's trying, he's like, give me the bike, Joey, and he's trying to rip it out of his arms and Joey's crying and trying to hold on to it. And as a fifth grader, it doesn't take a lot to know this is something that's wrong. This should not be. So I look around and I'm like, surely someone is going to stop this. But everybody's just watching it and nobody's doing anything. And about that time, Something stirs up inside of me. And I remember Felt Bored David and Goliath. And I remember how he went up to the much larger bully and he confronted him, and God made him victorious in that, and he conquered his bully. And so I I walked up to him. I strode up to this bully confidently because everybody tells you that bullies are just really insecure inside. And if you go up and confront them, they're going to run away because they're weak on the inside. Well, this bully did not understand that principle. So I go up to him expecting, to say, hey, leave Joey alone. He's like, oh no, and he's going to run away because a fifth grader confronted him. But what happened is I go up to him and I'm like, hey, leave Joey's bike alone. And he turns to me and he looks even bigger. I'm resting in the shadow of this mountain that's in front of me, doing the neck crane, looking up at him. And he looks at me and he says, who's going to make me? And I was brave for a second there. But then when someone calls you out and they want to challenge you on what you're doing, I turn my back, to, I was looking backwards like, surely my friends now have all gathered around me in a V formation and they're ready to rumble with me. We're going to go to war with this guy. We're going to defend Joey. But when I turn around and look back at them, as soon as I make eye contact, they're all, you know, they're looking down, looking away, pretending like they don't know what's going on. I'm like, oh man, it's just me. But I turn back to him and I see Joey and he's crying. and I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to get beat up for something in my life. This is an all right thing to get beat up for. And so I turned to this guy and I said, I'm going to make you. And sometimes when you fall down, it's all in slow motion. You can remember everything that happened. And other times it happens in an instant. You find yourself on your back. This guy picked me up with one arm and he punched me with the other one and I I was instantly on my back and the glass broke, I'm covered in water and my fish is flopping around on the sidewalk. So I'm crying. I'm a fifth grader. I just got picked up and punched and my fish is flopping around on the ground. So I grab up the fish and I run to the drinking fountain inside of the door and I throw him in that and I'm pouring water over him because I was a little animal lover and I didn't want my little fish to die. And so someone runs and they get me a bowl to put him in and after a couple of minutes I've collected myself and I'm going back outside to wait for my ride, but I'm humiliated. I took a chance. I stood up for my friend and I failed. I failed. You know, I got, I got beat up right in front of the whole school, and I made a fool of myself, and it didn't do any good because Joey's bike was going to get stolen anyways. And when I walk back out there, to my surprise, I see like, this mob that has circled the bully now. Every single person in the school that's out there at the front is now sitting there yelling at him, and they're punching at him, and Joey's riding off on his bike getting away, and the bully breaks out, and he takes off running in the other direction. And I was like, Yeah! Like, I did this! With a fish in one hand and a backpack in the other hand without throwing a single punch, I had slain the bully. In fact, the only person that got punched was me, and I still won somehow. But I owe all of that story, Joey's bike, is still around today because of the story of David and Goliath and how it inspired my young heart. And today, if we look at the story, I think there are a lot of things that we can learn from it. Now, hopefully you're not having bullies trying to steal your bike still. But there are things that are going on in your life where you have to stand up. Where sometimes you have to go to battle. You have to fight. And what we learn from David as he goes through this completely changes the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view the battles that we're in. So at the beginning of the story, you guys all know, uh, David is a guy with a serious pituitary gland problem. He's over nine foot tall. And he comes, uh, the Philistines, the constant nemesis of Israel in the Old Testament, they have come to fight. And they get out there and they're drawn up. You know, the Israelites on one side, the Philistines on the other side. And it says this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 8 through 11. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. When you're dismayed and afraid, that's a bad combination. You are not set up for success in a battle. And remember, Saul the one who's so dismayed and afraid, he's the people's king. He's the one that looks the part. He's taller than everybody. He's better looking. He comes from the right bloodlines. This is the person that they wanted to be their king. But the outside appearance of Saul did not match up with what was in his heart. Because when it came time to fight, when they were confronted, when he was supposed to be the one who went out there to met the challenge of the other army, Instead of marching out there, as was his duty, as the king over all of Israel, it says that he's hiding out and he's afraid. He refuses to go out and fight. He's a coward at heart. And it's at this time of challenge that the contents of his heart were truly revealed. And then after 40 days of this going on, they're just hiding, and every day Glass is coming out and challenging them. And they're just sitting there you know, in, their, in their little huts, shivering and being scared. And then finally David comes on the scene. He's bringing some bread and cheese to his brothers who are in the army, and he sees what's going on. You guys know the story. He's like, "Who is this guy? Who does this giant think he is? That's going around, you know, defying us, defying our God, challenging us out to fight. I'll go out there. I'll kill this guy. This is I got this one. This is no problem." And you guys know everybody tries to talk him out of it and they try to put Saul's armor on him and it's too big. And he says, I can't go out and fight with this. I'm just going to go out there. He gets the, the five smooth stones from the stream and he takes the sling out there and he goes there and he whips the stone at him and it hits him in the head and knocks him down. And Ethan and I, we play this game every day. He always wants to be the bad guy. He's like, I'm Goliath. Who will fight me? And I'm like, I'll fight you. I'm David. And he's like, You can't fight me, you're just a little guy. And I'm and then I take the stone and I throw the stone at him and he falls over. And then I run over to him, I pick him up, give him a big hug, and we say, I'm so sorry, let's be best friends and never fight again. That's how I end the story. That's not how the story really ends, though. Because after David knocks him down, the stone isn't what kills him. David is like such a baller that he goes out there, takes the sword off of Goliath, and cuts his own head off with it. Like that's how the story goes. He went out there and he just completely destroyed this giant that he was fighting. And all the Philistines run away afraid and they, you know, they carry David on their shoulders and take him into Jerusalem and he's celebrated from this time forward. But, you know, it was in that moment that we see a very distinct difference between the two people, between Saul and between David. The way that they approach this, the reaction to it is completely different. And how is it, you look at David, who's just a youth, with no armor, Goliath has all the greatest you know, armor and weaponry of the day, but at a time when the king of Israel is scared and won't go out to fight, when all of the army of Israel is scared and won't go out to fight, how is it that this little shepherd boy runs out there and defeats the greatest fighting man on the face of the earth? You see, the key to success in battle isn't the weapon that is in your hand. It is the courage in your heart. That's how David was able to win. It had nothing to do with what was in his hand. He could have had the jar with the fish in it, like I had, and he still would have gone out there and won. Because what's always going to dictate your success or your defeat in battle is do you have courage inside of your heart, like David, or do you have cowardice inside of your heart, like Saul did? That's all it is. It's that simple. It's that easy to determine how you're going to do when you get in a fight. And every one of us, we are in a battle. Hopefully, it's not going to be nine-foot giants that are coming out and challenging you to armed combat, that you have to go out there and fight. But every single one of us, we are in spiritual battles every day of our lives. It says in 1 John 3, 8 of Jesus, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came here. He came here to set free the captives. He came here to remove sin. We were a people who had been oppressed and we were despised. We were a people that were slaves to sin. It's easy to look around the world and say, we can see the places where Satan is moving. When we look at slavery and, and trafficking that's going on, when we look at the greed, lust, hatred, all of the things going on in the world, it's easy to see the places where the enemy's works are still ongoing and they're strong. But Jesus came to destroy All of those works. That's why he came here. Jesus came here to wage war. And when we became Christians, what happened is it says that we became a part of the church, the the universal body of believers all over the world. And Jesus says the church is my body, that the church is continuing the mission that I came here to initiate. Now I'm continuing that mission through my people, the church. So that means that in you, God is continuing to destroy the works of the enemy. That God is using you to continue to stand up against oppression and injustice, against the works of the devil in our world, and to see God's reign and his rule, his victory come into every single area of our lives and the lives of everybody across this world. So if you are a Christian, and even if you aren't, congratulations, you are in a battle. The enemy is opposing you. And when you're in a battle, there's offensive attacks of where you're the one that's going out there and you're destroying the works of Satan. And there are times when you're the one who's being attacked where the enemy is counter-attacking you and trying to keep you from doing the things that God has called you to do. You see, we're in a battle for things like your soul. You're in a battle for your family. Have you guys ever noticed how much effort it is to continue to love your family and to keep them moving in the right direction? Have you seen the attacks of the enemy on your family? Satan wants to destroy you and he wants to destroy your family. That's a battle that's going on. There's a battle that's going on for the destiny that God has called you to. God has incredible plans. It says, Before the foundations of the earth were laid, that God created you to do good works in Christ Jesus. There's a plan, there's a destiny that you've been called to. And Satan is going to do everything that he can to keep you from walking into the destiny that God has called you to. And as you enter into these battles in your life, as they pop up, you're going to respond in one of two ways. You're going to respond like Saul, who was dismayed and afraid by the enemy. And by, by surrendering, uh, he lost. You don't surrender in a battle and win or stay the same. Whenever you surrender, you lose. Or you can be like David, a man who had no armor, no weapons, no training, and yet he rushed headlong into battle and was victorious because of the courage that was in his heart. If you want to prevail in battles, you have to have that courageous warrior heart like David had. And there are a couple of things, I think, that in the story of David that are really key to how we live our life with that kind of a heart. And the first one is that you have to know the presence of God. David was someone who everybody could recognize the presence of God on. Now before, uh, after he's anointed, he's you know, chosen to be the next king of Israel, but he just goes back to being a shepherd at this point. Nobody outside of his family knows. And Saul is looking for a musician to come into his court and to play for him. And his people go out and they're looking around the country, and who do they find? They find David, the next anointed king of Israel, but they don't know that. And they bring him into the court of Saul to play for him. And this is what they say about David when they report to Saul. In sixteen eighteen. it says, "...I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Just from going out there and scouting out, looking for musicians, they could tell the presence of God is on David. Like, God is with this guy. It makes him stand out. It sets him apart from everybody else that they're looking at. And you would look at this and say, well, so why is it that this next anointed king of Israel is sitting out there still being a shepherd at this point? Wouldn't you think that, if, if you're going to be the next king, then maybe God would have had him start taking some prep classes or you know, learning some strategies and stuff like that, getting himself ready to be the king. But really, he was in the perfect place. God was preparing him to be king, not through his education, not through military training, none of the other stuff that the rest of the leaders in the world would have been going through. He was out there sitting with a bunch of sheep with all the time in the world so that he could pursue his relationship with God. He's out there and he's he's sitting there playing on his little harp and he's writing praise songs. He's worshiping God, he's memorizing scripture. He's seeking after God while he's a shepherd. And it's in that time of just pursuing God that he is prepared to be the king because the presence of God is on him now. It says this. I think this is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. If you want to be someone who's used mightily by God for his kingdom purposes, like David, it begins with knowing God. In Daniel eleven thirty two, 32, it says, those who know God will do great exploits. It doesn't say those who are from the right family lines. It doesn't say those who are well-connected, those who have the right degree. It says those who know God will do great exploits. That was the thing that David needed. That was the thing that all of us need. If you want your heart to be filled with courage, like David's was, if you want to have great kingdom exploits in your life, like David did, then it begins with us knowing the presence of God in our life. Because here's what happens. When you begin to know the presence of God, when you spend time knowing him and his character, his personality, his power, you begin to realize this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He knew that he could be victorious in anything that he did because the presence of the all-powerful God was in him and it was stronger than any other force that you will encounter in this world. Number two, you have to know who you are. Ever notice that when you are getting ready to engage in a battle for something that's going to be tough and you're going to take a stand for something that's right in life, that there will be people who rally around you to discourage you and tell you not to do it, and tell you that you can't do it, that it's an impossibility. Like every time you want to take a stand for something, or you want to pursue something God's called you to, there's always going to be this group of people that comes around and discourages you from that and tries to talk you out of it. In first Samuel seventeen, David experiences. It says now Elab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Elab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, What have you come down for? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down here to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. See, David is out there. He just came to bring food to his brother, and then he starts saying, Hey, who is this giant that's talking smack to us? This isn't right. And so his brother started saying, "Like you're, you shouldn't be here. You just came here because you want to see the battle. You have an evil heart. You're even a bad shepherd. You abandon your responsibilities as a shepherd. What makes you think that you can go out here and do this? Have you ever had people do something like that in your life? God's given you a dream. You're going to take a stand for something. And people come out of the woodwork to discourage you. Well, David does the right thing. It says that he turns away from his brother and he turns to other people and continues to talk in the same way. He says, look, if you're just going to be a discouragement to me, if you're going to be someone that tries to hinder me in what God's called me to do, I don't have the time for you. I'm not going to give any validity to your words. I'm going to turn and talk to someone else, and I'm not going to let it change what God has set in my heart to do. You know, this is what's really interesting about this to me. His brother knew who David was. He knew that he was the next anointed king of Israel. He's one of the few people in the whole world who knew that. But what does he tell him? He's like, you're a bad shepherd. He's trying to tell him that he can't do the thing that he's been set out to do. But at this point, not only is he the next anointed king of Israel, but he's also been made an armor bearer for King Saul. Saul knows who David is because, remember, he's been playing his harp in the court and Saul loves him so much and he makes him his armor bearer. And what an armor bearer does is they go into battle before the king. They stand in front of him. They have the shield that has the royal symbol on it. And that symbol represents the king who's behind him. And when he goes out there, he has that image, that seal on that shield, and it represents the power, the authority, and the might of the person who's behind him. And a lot of times, if you go out in a battle and they'd see King Saul's armor, they'd take off running because they know the guy behind him is a powerful, strong person that they don't want any part of. Well, who do we bear the image of? We bear the image of God. It says that we were made in the image of God. When the enemy looks at us as Christians, he doesn't see us. He sees the image of Jesus. He sees it and that image represents the authority and the power and the might of God. You know, the enemy isn't scared of us. I mean, look at me, I'm not that intimidating. But when he sees the image of God, he's terrified. Because he knows full well the power and the authority that God has. You need to know who you are. You are anointed. Like David was anointed to be the next king. You have been chosen and you have been anointed by God. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the things that he's called you to and you bear the image. You are an armor bearer for God and as you go forth into battle bearing the image, the seal of the power and the authority of God, the enemy will flee before you. You have to know who you are and you will be filled with courage. Number three, the courageous heart is motivated by a righteous cause. As David goes out to fight, when he gets there and he sees the way people are responding to the threats of Goliath, he's like floored by this. He can't understand the complete lack of willingness on the, on the part of the entire nation of Israel to go out and to fight Goliath. And what he says as he's talking to other people is, is there not a cause? It's not... Is this a hard fight? Is this something that's scary? He says, is there not a cause that's worth fighting for here? You know, what makes a warrior warriors, they're not people who go out there and they're looking for a fight because they love fighting. A warrior goes out and they fight because the cry of justice cannot be ignored. They go out to battle because there is a cause. And in each and every one of our lives, there is a cause that is worth fighting for. I remember when Ann and I, I mean, clearly, this will be one of those moments I remember my entire life is when we decided that we were going to move to Ann Arbor and that we were going to plant a church here. And we were willing to make the sacrifice to leave everything behind and to come here and, and to just put it all out on the line because we knew there was a cause here that was worth fighting for. We knew that the people of this city were worth fighting for. We, know, we knew that seeing God's kingdom and continue to expand and seeing people walk in the freedom that Jesus has won for them, see them filled with the hope that comes from Jesus, see them filled with the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, to see them not living as someone who is battered and beaten by the enemy, but someone who rises up in the full identity that Jesus has made available to them and they go out and they pursue the God-given dreams that have been put in their heart by the living God. That was a cause for us that was worth fighting for. And that's why we said, God, it doesn't matter what the cost is. We are scared out of our minds. This is a battle that's bigger than what we can handle. But this is a cause that we have to take a stand for. And in every one of our lives, there are causes that are worth fighting for. In your family, for your marriage. It's so easy to say, we can't keep this marriage together. This is something that's impossible. It's it's too big of an opponent that we are fighting but it's a cause that's worth fighting for. If your children are far from you or if they're far from the Lord and it seems like they will never come back, they are a cause that is worth fighting for. It's a cause that's worth laying down your life for and going up against any enemy for. When it comes to the destiny that God has called you to and the dreams he's put in your heart, it is a cause that is worth fighting for. And as you begin to look at the causes that God has put inside of your heart, you're going to be filled with courage. Just like I was filled with courage to go fight for Joey. There are causes bigger than bikes out there, but there are things that God has put on your heart. And you know what they are this morning as I'm speaking to you. But there are things that you can look at in your life right now where you say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And this is going to be an incredibly hard and difficult fight. It's going to cost me something. But I can't ignore the cry of justice. I have to respond because of the value and the importance of this cause. Number four, the courageous heart recounts the faithfulness of God. Now when David tells King Saul of his plan to go out and to fight Goliath, what, what Saul does is he says, there is no way that you can do this. It says in verse 17, 34 through 37, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock i went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth and if he arose against me i caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him that is like man mode right there grabbing animals by their beards and punching them your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living god And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See what David's doing is he's recounting the faithfulness of God. He's looking back and saying, In the past, I've been in bad situations, but God has been my provision. In the past, I have needed divine protection, and God has protected me. God is the one who has always been there for me and he is the God who always will be there. See, whenever you go into a battle, one of two things is going to happen. You'll either focus on the enemy or the battle itself and look at how hard it is and then you'll look at how weak you are in comparison, how unable you are to fight this battle. And what happens then is the the enemy just seems incredibly massive and insurmountable and God seems very tiny and incapable. Or, You can focus on what God's already done in your life. You look back and you say, look, remember when God did this? I remember when God did this other thing. God's always been faithful. He's always been bringing me into victory. I know that I can trust him. And as you do that, you magnify God. You make him bigger, and the enemy becomes minuscule in comparison, and you will be filled with courage. And then number five is that the courageous heart Fights in unconventional ways. David defeated Goliath with no sword in his hand. It makes a point to say that. There was no sword in his hand. He didn't fight the way that the rest of the world fought. And we don't fight the way the world around us fights either. First Corinthians ten three through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, our fight isn't against people. People are never our enemies. Satan is our enemy. And his will and his plans and the way that he enslaves people, that's our enemy. See, when you look at like who's our worst enemy right now? You look at what Isis is doing. And it is absolutely terrible. It is awful. But those people aren't the enemy. They are people that Jesus laid his life down for because he loves them so much. I was just hearing the other day about one of these ISIS fighters that had a divine revelation of Jesus on the battlefield. And he gave his life to Jesus and now his mission is to lead the other people that he used to fight with to Jesus. You know, if it for the grace of God, we would all be in that same situation. But because God loved us and he saved us, now we're in a different place. And our job isn't to go out there and to say these are the enemies, these are the bad guys that we have to destroy. Our, our job and what Jesus did is says, these people are captives of Satan. They have been deceived and I'm going to lay my life down for them so that they might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can live according to the plans that God has for them. We have to know who we're fighting And we also had to know how we fight. Our weapons are different. Just like David went up there with a sling, that's not the typical weapon you would use. The way we fight, number one, we pray. Prayer is an incredible weapon that we have. When we invite God in the equation, we say, God, you are the one who is all-powerful. You have all authority. Would you come now? Would you exercise your power and authority in this situation to bring it into conformity with your will? The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Fasting, that's not a popular one in the Western world. I hate fasting, but I love what it does. But when you begin to fast, it accelerates, and it, it's like throwing napalm on your prayer life because it makes you so much more attentive to the voice of God speaking to you. God's word, it says, God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Then when God's word goes out, it never returns void. It always accomplishes that which it was sent out to do. Your praise I love how the Israelites, when they went into battle, who'd they send out there at the the front lines? The musicians. Our praise is a powerful weapon against the enemy. And then, lastly, the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Revelation is talking about how was it that the saints overcame the enemy? By the blood of the Lamb, which Jesus has already shed, and the word of our testimony, what God did in our lives and what God can do in the life of every other person. And now, lastly, the courageous heart knows that the battle is the Lord's. 1 Samuel seventeen forty five says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. It's easy to think that the battles we're fighting are our battles, that it's somehow dependent upon us. But this makes it clear that the battle that we're fighting isn't ours. The battle that we fight is the Lord's. And the good news about that is he's already won that battle. Because 2,000 years ago, he went to the cross. And on the cross, he died, bore all the penalty for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. Our God defeated everything. If, think about this, when you defeat sin and when you defeat death itself, what weapon can stand against you? What enemy is there still that Jesus hasn't conquered if he's already defeated the power of sin and death? That same God that defeated sin and death is a God that lives inside of you. He is a God that is empowering you. It's his image that you bear when you go into battle. Our role isn't to go out there and to fight the battle. is the Lord's. Our job is to go out there and to take the stand. Our job is to go out there and to persevere. But we let God be the one who goes before us. He already won the victory. And as we take our stands against the injustices, against the enemy, we continue to see that victory enforced in our lives and in our city and in our world. Would you guys stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, would you speak to us? God, would you speak to us about the cause that we've been called to take a stand for? God, would you reveal to us the battle that we're supposed to be running to join? God, would you show us the places where the enemy's been encroaching? where the enemy has been challenging us, the places where we have to make our stand. This morning, especially if you've been living and you've been feeling like you're defeated, if you've been living and there's been a, a constant battle that's been going on for a long time where you haven't seen victory in it, maybe you felt like you can never see victory in this area, God wants to encourage you this morning. And he wants you to take a fresh stand. He wants you to receive his power. He wants you to be encouraged by him. He wants to speak to you this morning to tell you that you can do it. That you can take a stand. That you can win this battle because he is the one that is for you. And if he is for you, then who can stand against you? God didn't create you to live a defeated life. He didn't create you to live constantly running from battles. Those dreams Those things he's put on your heart, those are still alive and they're still active. It doesn't matter how many years have passed, how many defeats you've seen, you can take a stand today and you can see him win that victory. Because there are some causes that are so important that we just can't quit. And no matter how many times we get knocked down, we stand up again and we allow God to strengthen us. This morning, if you need God to, to supernaturally empower you and encourage you to breathe something new in you this morning, every ass closed, would you raise your hand with me just as a symbol to say, God, that's me. I need you to do something in my life. I need you to stand for me. I need you to fight for me thank you. Let's pray this together. Father, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you that you weren't content to just leave us as a people who were separated far from you, but that you came to war on our behalf and you've defeated every enemy. You've defeated every spiritual power that was holding us in bondage and keeping us from you. And Father, we pray this morning that you would continue to enforce that victory in our lives. God, that you would continue, Lord, to bring hope to the hopeless. God, we pray that you would mend the broken hearts. God, we pray that you would reconcile relationships, that you would mend marriages. Jesus, we pray that you would work on the hearts, that you would turn the hearts of parents towards your children, the, par- the hearts of children towards their parents. God, we pray that you would break the strongholds of addiction, God. That you would break the strongholds of depression. Father, that you would give us a new way to think. And that, Lord, in every battle that we've been called to as we take our stand, that we would be filled with the power that comes from you. God, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit. That we would be victorious. You've said that we are more than overcomers. That we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So God, come this morning. Fill us strengthen us, pour courage into our hearts, and give us the strength to take our stands. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.